A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca/slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase Today. Visit Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is Douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. at the White House, but I'll tell you how I feel. The food is simply terrible, just sauerkraut and veal. If Mrs. R would stay at home, I'd get a decent meal. But that's off the record. I'm so sorry, that was, that's off the record. All right, that then. Off the record. This is off the record. That's off the record, by the way. This is off the record, off the record. Remember, dear readers, you heard it here first. Off the record, on the QT, and very hush, hush. Off the record? There's no such thing as off the record. No such thing in law? You cannot sue or have a journalist charged for publishing information that you gave to them in confidence? And there's no such thing in the official and binding formal rulebook that governs the profession of journalism because no such rulebook exists. So off the record does not exist. And yet it's very real. The use, abuse, and misunderstanding of off the record played a pivotal role in global affairs last week when off the record comments made by the American president, Donald Trump, to Bloomberg News journalists were published in the Toronto Star by reporter Daniel Dale. Trump told Bloomberg he had Canada over a barrel in NAFTA talks and that we were about to take a deal on his terms. When his boast went public, the talks stalled. And so they remain. 
It happened again last week when Tesla CEO Elon Musk sent an email marked off the record to a BuzzFeed news reporter in which he viciously attacked this British diver calling the guy a pedophile with no evidence whatsoever after having already apologized for calling him that at an earlier point. Now, whether this incident will contribute to the implosion of Tesla, thus derailing humanity's technological savior, or merely complicate Musk's relationship with Grimes remains to be seen. Add to all of this the New York Times opinion section, publishing an anonymous editorial by a senior Trump official who says that they are working from within to frustrate and thwart the U.S. president, And you have a world suddenly dumped into J-School. Explainer articles are popping up, laying out the difference between an anonymous source and a confidential source, the difference between on the record, on background, on deep background, not for attribution, embargoed. And while those definitions are useful to an extent, it all gets a bit silly when you realize, A, every news organization has its own version of these terms and its own rule book, or none, for how to use them, and B, in practice... The exact rules and definitions are often, maybe even usually, unknown, not just to the people giving information to reporters, but to the reporters themselves. And finally, see, even if you follow the rules, it is easy to manipulate and subvert them. So it's all about as clear as mud. Look, all of this will be a lot easier to talk about with reference to specific examples. So let's do that. Today, I'm going to talk to Toronto Star reporter Daniel Dale about his Trump bombshell and to BuzzFeed News editor-in-chief Ben Smith about their Elon Musk expose, as well as Smith's own history publishing embargoed press releases and off-the-record comments from Uber. Both of my guests are currently getting blasted online from Trump and Musk themselves to their hordes of supporters for supposedly breaking the sacred trust that is off the record. But did they? Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Alana Ravitsky, Alicia Mutual, Jamie Hall, Vicky Lynn Cove, Michael McLaughlin, Russell Spears, Colin Bird, and John Wimberly. I'm John Wimberly in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and I support Canada Land because media criticism is more important now than maybe ever. And it's all the better when it's delivered with a bit of caustic humor. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity 
and they are doing cutting edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. Daniel, is it possible for me to ask you to summarize what happened in the first place? Sure. So the, the president sat down for an interview on Thursday with two Bloomberg News reporters and the editor-in-chief of Bloomberg News, and he made significant off-the-record comments about Canada. And he said he couldn't say this publicly because he correctly noted that it would make it much harder for the Canadian side to make a deal with him if they knew that he was not uh, compromising. And I obtained those from a source who was not any of those three Bloomberg journalists who was in the room and and made that promise to him. And it it did affect the negotiations uh, the day that I reported this. The Canadian side, after I brought these comments to them, uh, raised them with the U.S. side in their NAFTA meeting. Um, And I don't know exactly what happened, but I know that it was a significant factor in uh, their failure to meet Trump's Friday deadline for reaching some sort of deal. I think that that the reason why we're talking about this today is that you sort of uh, brought to public scrutiny this very nerdy journalistic question of what off the record is, what it means. If you had to kind of tell, you know, somebody outside of, of the business what off the record actually is, what would you say? Sure. So off the record means that you cannot use the material in any way. So the default for an interview is on the record. And that's everyone knows, you know, the, the person is talking and you're going to you're going to print it or you're going to air it somewhere in between off the record and on the record is on background, which means that you can publish the comments, but would not attribute to them by name. You might say, you know, a senior government official, for example. Um, but off the record is this is off limits. It's, it's, it's not going anywhere at all. So with, with these comments that I got, Bloomberg had interviewed Trump and agreed that these particular remarks would be off the record. But I made no such agreement. I was not in this interview. I made no promises to the president. So when I independently obtained these quotes, um, I didn't feel bound by their their promises, and I felt okay to, to publish. Now, I want to just scrutinize one aspect of this that I haven't heard anyone question. Uh, off the record must be negotiated. Would you agree? It's not enough for a source to say, by the way, off the record, I murdered a guy last night. Uh, <laughs> right. And then and then expect the journalist to keep that off the record. Right. The journalist has to have opportunity to agree, yes, I will receive this information and I won't use it. I mean, that I'm right about that understanding. You're you're absolutely right. And I I had uh, an example of that with the White House trying to respond to these comments that I obtained. Um they sent me an email saying, "Off the record, uh such and such. It was nothing important." But that's not how it works. You know, you can't just send someone an email and say, off the record. And that that happens sometimes in practice because journalists may have a personal relationship with the source and there may be an understanding developed over time that there's sort of a a de facto blanket. You know, whenever I say off the record, I trust you that it's going to be off the record. But that shouldn't be how it works. And especially where there's no existing relationship like between me and, and the White House spokespeople, that's definitely not how it works. 
Yeah. My question is for Bloomberg's behavior, because they're they're backing up. You know, Trump is saying, hey, we had an off the record agreement and they're saying, yeah, we had that agreement. I'm just wondering if that negotiation ever took place, because for the president to ask a journalist, uh, this is going to be off the record. You would hope that the journalist's follow up conversation uh, question would be, well, I'm sorry, Mr. President, but before I can agree to that, I need to know what this concerns, because there's all kinds of things that a president might say to a journalist yeah. that, that, that a journalist would not be able to keep off the record. By the transcripts that were provided, it seems like Trump was just flipping a switch and unilaterally said, hey, this next thing about Canada, it's off the record. He, he, he was. He, he was. I could tell. And so I don't know what the ground rules they set uh, going in were. So I don't know if there was a conversation, for example, where the, the president said, look, I'm going to flip on and, uh, you know, on the record to off the record. And if I say anything that's off the record, you have to agree that that's off the record. And, and did Bloomberg say yes to something like that? I don't know. But to me, it, it is an odd situation. Like judging from the transcript, there's the most powerful person in the world who just seemed to be unilaterally declaring things off the record without without specific agreement on each one. Um, and I don't I think that there should be a conversation about whether that's a, a good decision by the journalist interviewing him or whether that's appropriate at all. I'm going to suggest that they would never in a million years say, Mr. President, you can go off the record whenever you want. I'm going to suggest that that was the de facto understanding between them and that it is something that they honored because if they ever burned him, they would mm-hmm. lose access completely. And I would, I would further suggest that this is not best practice. That's possible. I, I think uh, what they were doing may well not have been best practice, but I just don't, I don't know what their understanding was. So I I wouldn't feel comfortable venturing an opinion either way. Are there circumstances, Daniel, under which you would break an off-the-record agreement? And and I understand this is not a circumstance where you had any obligation to keep the information you received off the record, but there are circumstances where journalists feel like it is ethical to break that that understanding. Yeah. What would those be for you? For me, I mean, your your, uh, semi-comedic example was, you know, off the record, I murdered someone last night. Um, Even if I promised the person (laughs) I was going to... be off the record, you know, if they're, if they're confessing to a crime, which could happen, you know, it might not be murder. It might be, you know, some sort of offense. Um, you know, I might feel a moral obligation to, um, report that to the authorities, depending on what it was. Um, also if someone, if the source was lying to me and it was clear that it was on purpose, um, there are times when, when sources lie to you. And if it was clear that I was being, um, manipulated by the source who was using off the record to, to play some game, I think I would give uh, serious thought to, to burning them and to, to violating the agreement because they, they would have violated the spirit of it. Now, here's a question for you. You did accept this information with some version of off the record in the, in the confidentiality. Whoever gave you this leak, you, you offered them confidentiality, correct? Yes. Now, if that source were to then publicly blame someone else for leaking the information, would that be a violation of that agreement? For example... It has been suggested that your source on this was President Trump himself. And, and then he went on to blame Bloomberg for breaking off the record when he's the one who leaked this to you. If he did that, he would arguably be in bad faith with you and not just with Bloomberg, in which case, am I going down a crazy rabbit hole here? Did no, you just say unilaterally, was Trump your source on this? It's, it's not a crazy rabbit hole, but I, I'm going to have to be cagey and, and not directly responsive on this because I don't, I just don't want to get into this uh, game of, of saying who it was and wasn't, except to say that Trump is wrong when he said that it was the Bloomberg reporters. You know, I, I made a sort of unusual decision to 
not identify the source, but to say who it wasn't, because I think Trump, um, he, you know, was using the information that I obtained to try to besmirch the reputation of people who had nothing to do with it. And so I can say it wasn't them. Uh, anyone who promised him that it would be off the record did not violate their promise. You know, I, and I'm not going to ask you to go further than that, but I am going to point out that people have uh, criticized you, or at least they followed up with you to say, Daniel, that's very specific wording you're using there. Yeah. You're not saying Bloomberg Bloomberg didn't leak it. You're saying that those specific reporters, and I believe you also said their editor, they didn't leak it. Nobody <laughs> promised him off the record leaked it, which leaves open the possibility that somebody else know, Bloomberg, which, you know, we're talking about bad faith, bad faith <laughs> on the part of the source, but there's also a possibility of bad faith on the part of journalists. Like, oh, I promised the president off the record, but I'm going to give this to my colleague. He's going to leak it to Daniel Dale. And then I'm, my hands are clean. I, I, I completely understand what you're saying. It just like, you know, it's weird for me to be in a position where I feel like a politician, where I am not just, you know, answering the, the question straight up, but just in the interest of protecting the source, I have to be cagey. I have to let people offer uh, absurd theories of, of various kinds about who it was and why they did it. But I, I just can't, I just can't say either way. I hear you. Either you're being just super, super uh, solid about not engaging in this kind of guessing game, or you're unable to exclude President Trump himself for other reasons. And uh, it, I, it would go against my promise to you in asking you for this interview to inquire any further about that. So let's just leave that. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Uh, Daniel, anything else you want to say about this uh, controversy that you've that you've brought up, uh, in, you know, everyone suddenly this kind of journalism school question of, of, uh, of off the record. I mean, I'm sure as you observe this debate, it's with some opinion and some comment about what everybody's saying. Anything you want to share? Yeah, I'll, I'll say a couple of things. One is that this type of story um, in which uh, someone uh, believes they are off the record, but then another outlet that is not party to the off the record agreement reports it is done all the time in Washington. So it's, this is unusual with Trump and a Trump interview. But for example, there are lots of, you know, um, like, uh, like an off the record salon with an, with a newsmaker where, you know, uh, Peter Baker at the New York times, a great reporter is known for this. He will obtain interesting information from those sessions and report it. Um, so this, this happens. Um, also say that I, you know, I think we should be more cautious and sparing in our use of on the record, especially with the president of the United States. I think you can make an argument that he should never be off the record. You know, everything he says is newsworthy. If he doesn't want to say something to, to, to the public, then he, he shouldn't say it at all. Um, and also just say, you know, just sort of my advocating for my own story. Um, I think, you know, what's most important here is the substance of the story. And I think it's in Trump's interest to make this a, a media ethics debate. And I think it's a good media ethics debate, and I'm glad you're asking about it. Um, but I, you know, I think we shouldn't uh, get lost in all this and forget what his actual comments were, which I think is what's most significant here. Daniel, thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. Hi, Ben. Hi. Can you give me like a quick synopsis of why Elon Musk is so angry with you? Well, our reporter, Ryan Mack, has been reporting on this, uh, on Musk's attacks on this cave diver who helped rescue kids in Thailand but then who, I guess, made the mistake of diminishing Musk's role in that rescue because the submarine he designed wasn't ultimately used. And he had eventually apologized for attacking this diver. Um, he then renewed his attacks in this email, told Ryan that the diver was married to a 12-year-old, that he'd been kicked off the rescue. We reported hard on these allegations, could find no evidence of them at all. 
we then printed Musk's email, which he had written the words at the top of the email off the record, but we had never talked to us about whether it was on or off the record, so we printed his email. And I think he was also upset about that. He may have uh, maligned somebody without any evidence for being a pedophile, but you broke off the record, or, or did you not? Off the, there are a lot of ambiguous things in journalism and how people use terms like on background in particular. It's actually not ambiguous what off the record is. And anybody, anybody certainly who talks to journalists all the time, as Elon Musk has for a long time, knows that it is a contract between, the, between a reporter and another person. And you say, can, you know, Jesse, can I, can I make this part of the, of the recording off the record? And if you say no, I can't. It is not magic like saying Beetlejuice three times. You know, I, I wanted to talk with you about this because, of course, Trump similarly sort of asserted without that negotiation that's supposed to take place, can I give you some information off the record? The journalist then has to make a decision as to whether or not they can allow the person to go off the record. That didn't happen with Trump either. And Trump knows a thing or two about speaking to the media, uh, as you say Elon Musk does. And then I also f- remember that you had um, – a uh, conflict with uh, the CEO of Uber when you were invited to a dinner party where some other people had maybe agreed to the party being off the record, but you certainly didn't. And he shared information with you that you then, of course, you're a reporter, you you published it. Uh, The common thread in these three cases, I don't know that it's these three people are media illiterate. The common thread to me is that they're all powerful, arrogant men. And they're the type of people who journalists want to have access to. Uh, do you think that there's anything to that? Yeah. I mean, I think the fundamental thing here, and, and the guy who thought he was off the record talking to me was was, a, was an aide to the Uber CEO, um, a guy named Emil Michael. Um, I mean, I think in a way what these things have in common is is that people in power often assume, often correctly, that reporters are on their side and that reporters kind of will do what they say. You, in discussing that uh, report, where Uber thought it was off the record and you ran it, you said it so often is not an ethical decision uh, because the ethics are pretty clear. If if you didn't agree to off the record, then you're not bound. Your 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 responsibilities to your reader. It's a tactical decision as to whether or not you could afford to burn this person because you're never getting access again. I mean that you know that's always part of it, right? I mean there's it, it, tactical and, and there there are other kinds of I think ethical decisions involved when you're talking to somebody who's really totally unsophisticated about journalism. I do think that. Often reporters ought to make sure that they really clearly, they make sure that person understands the situation they're in, in talking to a journalist. I think in the U.S. at least, there are a lot of, um, the law gives us a lot of leeway to write about people's personal lives. Like, I think there are a lot of times when, particularly with people who aren't, who don't have power, who aren't sophisticated about the media, that you're not, you're not obliged to print every word that you can print. I think when you're talking to powerful people, in this case, a powerful person who's waging a really intense personal campaign against a private citizen, your obligation is to is to share that with your audience. And it's a good enough story that it's worth pissing off Elon Musk as well. I mean, you know, we do weigh these things, right? Oh, sure. Right. And I think, you know, I mean, that's always part of it. I mean, I also think that I hope that, uh, you know, Mr. Musk will, when he calms down, and I understand why he's upset, realize that we did the only thing we could do here that he made a mistake. And, and I, you know, I look forward to talking to him again. You know, you, you bring up kind of like a best practices thing when you're talking to naive people or people who don't know the ins and outs of this. And people here are, you know... This- and again, like, that's not true in every case, right? If you're talking to a vicious warlord who happens not to know the ins and outs, <laughs> you might allow him to tell you about 
murders he's committed without informing him of the ins and outs. It's not, I don't think these are, it's a complicated business. It's not, these obligations aren't, you know, I right. think there's a lot, there are a lot of case by case decisions to be made. In terms of your media literacy dictator, you are naive and innocent, but in terms of your uh, genocidal practices, uh, I'm not going to cut you any slack. I think what you're proving here is that there is no like mathematical, scientific, or, you know, the, the professional code of conduct varies from news organization to news organization and the morality of each individual reporter comes into play. You said something that I thought is very very honest and true. In an earlier interview, you said there's an element of journalism that is fundamentally about betrayal. And we can kind of like talk to the J school profs about how, you know, best practice is to let them know I'm turning the recorder on. We are on the record. Here's who I am. Here's where I'm from. But we know that day to day reporters want information nobody else has. It's not like you're trying to trick anyone, but you are trying to build intimacy. You're trying to get people to share things they haven't shared with anyone else. I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, like, I don't I, whether there's anything wrong with it or not. I'm not sure it's separable from the job. I mean, I think right. I mean, I do think again, it's a question of whose side are you on? Are you on the side of the people you're writing about, or are you on the side of your audience? You know, the job is fundamentally to serve the audience, which often means printing things people don't want printed. You know, it's funny because I, I have felt the same way, and and you can feel kind of tough and you can feel also kind of virtuous and like, I'm here for the reader. I'm not here to make friends. And yet you turn it on the other side and you think that the reader would be very happy with us and love us for that. And they don't. Uh, these are the types of stories that even though Elon Musk is maligning this poor guy who saved these kids and, and calling him a pedophile with no evidence, it sort of feeds into this hatred of the press, that the press is scummy and that people, poor Elon Musk trusted you guys and look what you did to him. There's a lot of people saying that online. Like we're in a kind of a unique moment of everybody, you know, can agree on one thing, which is that we're a bunch of scumbags. Like, Yeah, you know, I think I'm, I mean, I, I think about that a lot. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes you'll hear journalists say, if only people could really see inside our work and see everything we do. They'd like us more. And I think there are elements of that that are definitely true. But also, I, I do not think that every single thing every th that great journalists have done to get great stories is something that is always easy to understand. And, and there are trade-offs. And certainly, there are these choices you make that, that are not necessarily about making people like you. Like, I, you know, I, I think that, you know, the, the choice is, is what Musk said an important thing to know about a powerful person. The choice isn't, will people like me if I print this? There's a great exchange. Michael Hastings, this incredible journalist who worked for us in 2012 and 13 and, and died in 2013. Um, he was doing a Rolling Stone profile in General Stan McChrystal that they later said they mended things to be off the record that, were, uh, that, that Michael used, but it had a huge impact both on McChrystal and on the conduct of the American war in Afghanistan. But Michael got into this exchange with a Hillary Clinton spokesman, Philippe Rhinus, and, you know, a fairly heated exchange in which I thought Rhinus looked over-aggressive in a way that revealed something about Clinton's operation that was really telling. And Michael really want, agreed and wanted to print it. And I said to him, you know, if we print this, you do look like an asshole here and people are going to think you're an asshole. And Michael said, well, everybody knows I'm an asshole. The news is that he's an asshole. <laughs> So, you know, I, I like it. Like, I, and I like the decision to run that. And I like that sense of sacrifice. And yet it's funny, like when those things come out, 
you would th- you would hope that the reader is just like I don't care about the reporter I care about the story but so many things are kind of staged like they're like you know wrestling matches now and whoever looks like the villain you know that seems to actually matter more than than okay uh, you you did what you had to do and you got me the information you know like you you have been very much on the inside of this I mean like you are uh, a guy who has advocated for aggressive reporting. You run your newsroom with the philosophy that reporters should not be looking to make friends. Uh, I don't know. It feels like, like, are you reacting to the hatred of the press? Are you reacting to what's changed? Um, is it is it possible to be any other way? And now that we are, whether we like it or not, part of the game as a useful prop to kick around, to use as a, as a, the public enemy – uh, why do they hate us and can we do anything about that? Or is it, is it just, is there no way to report the news without absorbing that and, and being hated? No, I think, I think that is a great question and something that I think about a lot. And I think, you know, sometimes I definitely, as somebody who came up in print and on the web, look at television journalists preening and sort of playing the part of a journalist in this very theatrical way. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm irked by that. At the same time, I think reporters for instance, have to realize that the emails that they send to sources are pretty likely to become part of the story and have to think about how their own correspondence, their own conduct will look in a way that is new and is just a matter of reality, whether you like it or not. And, and um, yeah, and I do think that that is, is a kind of new constraint. And I guess I would, just, I would just add one thing to that, which is I think that, you know, part of it is if, you know, if you were covering... Um, these lead poisonings in public housing in New York City. And as part of that, you sent an email to a city official that was straightforward and honest, but perhaps didn't give... They were then surprised by how the story came out and caused them to admit something they didn't want to admit. I don't think anybody would say, you know, that's outrageous that you did that. But I think that, you know, there's a proportionality question. What are you going after? What are you trying to expose? And you have to be comfortable saying, well, what, you know, obviously, however I reported this story is, is justified by, by what we got here and, and the importance of the subject. Yeah. I mean, every case has to be kind of adjudicated on its own merits. And, and we kind of want to maintain sole discretion to make those judgments, right? Yeah. And I think that's, that's honestly where the, where the notion that there's something that is specifically called journalistic ethics as distinct from human ethics has always confused me. I mean, I think people expect us to behave ethically and make ethical choices the same as anybody else. But there's this desire for a special set of rules that it will be very simple and easy to follow for journalists. And and I don't think that's ever really existed. Thanks, Ben. Thank you for having me. That is your Canada Land. I hope you enjoyed it. You can email me about it, and I will read that email. Send it to jesse at canadalandshow.com. Our Twitter account is at CanadaLand. Our website is CanadaLandShow.com, where we publish original news stories all the time. Oppo returns this week. Justin and Jen have not argued all summer, so it is going to be an explosive episode where they're just basically going to emit loud, high-pitched noises at each other at sonic frequency for 30 minutes. It's going to be great. There might also be some politics discussed. Check it out. This episode is produced by Ali Graham. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, please support us by going to patreon.com slash Canada Land. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.